Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Well, hello and welcome to the first ever Action 22's show, Making Action Happen. Uh, Today, we're going to introduce you to our organization, who we are, what we do, um, and we're really excited to have you listening in today. Uh, With me today is our first guest, uh, not only one of the most interesting guys around, um, but one of the coolest. His name is Brian McCain. He is currently the Uh, District Director for Congressman Scott Tipton. Uh, We're going to get to him in a few minutes as soon as we uh, introduce you to our organization a little bit. So uh, Action 22 is is one of three organizations in Colorado that uh, has basically the same mission, and that's to be a voice on the state and federal level for its members. So think a legislative chamber of commerce. So Action 22 was started in 1999. Um, a group of like-minded people sat down and said that we just needed a lot more representation of a much stronger voice uh, at the Capitol in Denver than we currently had. Uh, It's really easy for our rural communities to sort of get lost in the noise of everything that goes on up there. And so uh, they modeled a a wonderful organization called Club 20 and another one at about the same time called Pro 15 um, did the same thing. Uh, So It's an interesting structure, it's an interesting concept, Uh, but as the years have gone on, we've realized that this has become a more and more relevant organization and structure. So just like our name says, we represent 22 counties in South Central and Southeast Colorado. And the idea was that we just really needed to have some political muscle. We really needed to be able to bring a whole lot of different people together and represent them, work with legislators, work with agencies and other elected officials to make sure that when a decision is being made, that the needs and priorities of these rural communities were being considered in that decision-making process. So 20 plus years later, the mission has remained the same. There's been some different organ or different leadership that has been in place over the years. Um, And it's really interesting for me as I I go out and I visit with people um, and I talk to people what their connections are with Action 22. And it's amazing to me to find out, uh, I'll meet a community leader and find out they either sat on the board or they were a board chair over the years and that sort of thing. Our membership is made up of community leaders, almost without exception. Every single member of Action 22 is a leader in their community on some level. I come from a uh, a nonprofit administrative background. So when I first saw what the structure of the organization was, I was a little bit intimidated. And if you've ever been administrator for a nonprofit, you'll see why in just a second. So for all of those 22 counties, we have three board members per county Um, that can represent and caucus for that county. Um, And then we have out of area. So those are people who um, either run an an organization or organizations that do a lot of business. Um, Currently, our board is not fully seated, but um, just to give you an example, we have two energy uh, companies 
uh, representatives of two energy companies. We have two city managers. We have seven county commissioners. We have two lobbyists. We have five executive directors of uh, businesses, either um, for-profit or nonprofit. We have three entrepreneurs and we have three big company representatives. Um, and that doesn't make up every everybody and what everybody does. That's just um, where we're at on that. So I get a lot of questions about um, where we were, where the organization was, and then what's changed since I came on three and a half years ago. So um, it was... It was an interesting time when I came on, um, but I had somebody um, sort of sit me down and talk to me about what it was going to take to run an organization like this. Um, one of the most impressive women in Colorado is a, a lady by the name of Kelly Bruff. Kelly is the executive director for the Colorado um, Metro Chamber um, or the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. They're one of the more influential organizations in the state. And we knew that we needed to do take a really close look at the organization and how we did business because when it was first started 20 years ago, uh, the political landscape has changed quite a bit since then. So she gave me a couple of pieces of advice that I felt were really um, helpful that I'll never forget. She said, right this minute, set up what your philosophy is for the organization, but also some guardrails for the organization. So we talk about making action happen and what goes into that and how we do that and how we sort of had this very brave, very impressive board of directors who were brave enough to throw out the old playbook and try some new things. Currently, I have to name names. I don't have time to name all the names of all the board members, but the executive team is made up of, of five really incredible individuals. The, the chair right now is a gentleman by the name of Mike Patterson. And Mike is the city manager for uh, Florence, Colorado. The vice chair is the city manager of La Junta, Colorado, the incomparable Rick Klein. We have as our treasurer, uh, uh, Kevin Wilkins, who is the executive director for San Luis Valley Resource Development Group. We have Ashley Valdez, who's one of the best people anybody knows as uh, representing Excel Energy. And as our out of area executive VP, uh, we have uh, Chad Vorthman, who is the um, executive VP for Colorado Farm Bureau. And it's a super impressive group of people. Every single one of them are leaders uh, and they really have driven the organization in a direction where we focus on action we focus on issues that are relevant and everybody checks their politics at the door. And that board is made up of every political party, every inclination as far as politics goes, but they, because they're such great leaders, when we get in a room and start discussing these issues, they genuinely check their politics at the door. And they've done it in a way that makes the whole organization very, very successful. So um, we do two things as far as our philosophy and our approach goes. Uh, and I share all this with you because I want you to understand what we're talking about when we talk about making action happen. Every board member is absolutely a servant leader. They understand what that means. They understand what the components of that are. They're in the trenches. They're doing the actual work. There's no rhetoric where we're coming from. 
But we ask two questions before we do anything. And it kind of drives my board crazy because there are two, they're sort of our litmus test. We ask what matters most to those we serve and what does our community need from us? When we ask those two questions, we're able to take the politics out of it and put the action front and center as as to what needs to happen. And that absolutely drives our objectives. So here's the other thing that we've done a really good job on. And it's, again, because this board of directors is so impressive. We have an absolutely impressive, enviable, strong relationship with elected officials, regardless of their party affiliation, um, on all on the state and federal level. Um, but also we have really strong relationships with um, the, the organizations, the um, agencies that serve our communities, like Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, um, DOLA, which is the um, Department of Local Government Affairs. Um, those are the kinds of, of organizations that drive and do all the hard work here, but they, they use us as a resource and we are able to do all the great work because of those strong relationships that we have with them. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit different than the current political landscape. We're going with a different playbook on this for sure. Um, a couple of examples of success that, that we've had, and I, I get asked that question a lot, you know, what, how do you measure success or what are your, some of your successes? And it's kind of hard to quantify what that is. Uh, I had somebody, I had a city councilman ask me this the other day, um, and it's hard to, to lay out what exactly that looks like. So I can just give you a couple of examples. Um, so we have uh, an issue with um, housing shortage here in Colorado, um, especially along the front range. We have a lot of older homes. We have, there's a lot of property, but it's really hard to build and, and to put in new uh, properties or new housing um, here in this area. So we started to really explore what the big problem was and how we can't seem to get that done in any kind of a productive way. The thing that kept coming up over and over and over again was asbestos mitigation and all the problems that go with asbestos mitigation. So not sexy, not anything earth shattering. It was just, this is the problem right here. Um, and it's wildly expensive and there's a whole lot of regulations on it and everything that goes along with it. So we spent an entire summer speaking with uh, some of the community leaders around the area, um, asking them what the problem was, why the costs were so high and so on and so forth. Entered about that same time, a gentleman by the name of Phil Weiser. Um, he was running for office at the time and we started to visit with him about some of these issues that we were coming um, up against. Now he's running for the attorney general. So we're used to a lot of lip service during election season, right? That's just how the game is played. But this guy comes in and he listens and he talks about several things. We put together a list of recommendations to send to the CDPHE or the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. And we sat and we waited. Election happens. Um, he becomes, Phil Weiser becomes the attorney general. Uh, Jared Polis becomes our governor. And so there's a whole new set of appointments. We thought that this issue was going to be dead. We were going to have to start over with it because um, it had been ignored for so long. We didn't think anything actually was going to happen. Um, but to our surprise, the new director um, came in. She looked at the, at the different uh, recommendations that we made, 
actually started to adopt some of those recommendations, but then did something that was above and beyond and accepted our invitation to do a trip, a road trip with her entire executive staff um, around to some of the areas in, um, in Southern Colorado. Now, you have to know that this organization prides itself on being even more stringent in a lot of areas in the EPA. Um, but we wanted them to see what some of the impacts were to the regulations surrounding asbestos. They were fantastic. They came, they listened, they learned, and then they took what they had um, back and, and did some very productive things to address that is those issues. It was tremendous. So I wanna get back to Phil Weiser. Now, Phil Weiser is not, uh, he's not running for office right now, um, but even after he was elected, he kept coming back and kept listening and kept discussing some of these issues. Um, and so he's, I'm talking about him because I want you to understand the kind of elected official that we're looking for around election season. So, so Phil comes back and we had a few other issues. We were talking a lot about at the time, workforce development. Um, one of the things that we discovered in, in our discussions was that um, this dual enrollment with community colleges was being sadly underutilized. Um, and so we sat down, we had an opportunity to sit down with Phil, with his team, with Matt, Baca, and some of these other guys, and to really talk about, was there any way that we could do something um, that would address both issues? So we looked for models all over the country, couldn't find them. Um, and then we decided to start to put some different models together. Um, we got a lot of input from the college presidents, the community college presidents um, in a certain area. And then Phil did something unexpected. He looked around, he had some um, money that had come from a settlement. He asked when the last time any kind of money like that, that the state had gotten from a settlement had gone to our region, to Southeast Colorado. Turns out it had never happened. So he said, here's this pot of money. This is where it's gonna go. Tell us how we can address those issues and put those together. So a lot of discussions, a lot of stakeholders, but they came up with a program and they're calling it copper, but what they're doing is super cool. They are um, working with a community college to give them added licensure so that they can be licensed in um, green development, green construction, um, asbestos mitigation, all those kinds of things. Then they're going to work with municipalities to, um, to redo different properties that, you know, have been abandoned or whatever. And then they can turn around and use, utilize those um, new houses or remodeled houses to recruit that workforce that they are, oh, that we have a shortage of, like uh, law enforcement and social work and medical and teachers, those ones that we really need in our communities, but we don't have. And part of the reason we don't have is housing. It's a super cool project. And as far as we know, nobody else is doing this yet. This launched about a month or so, or so ago. And it was, it was really exciting for me and for Action 22 because we had been a part of the initial pulling that together. Elected officials who take the time to listen to be willing to try ideas, to put some things together. Now, this is way out of the mandate of an, of an attorney general, um, 
But that he did that for our community is huge. And that's what we're looking for when we start to talk about what we want in elected officials in Colorado. Um, the other thing I wanted, I wanted to share that was kind of a success and we were we thought it was pretty cool. And if you're not in the public policy arena, if you're not in the legislative arena, you may not appreciate this. There was a bill um, that, let me back up for a second. During COVID, um, it happened in the middle of the, the Colorado legislative session. So they had to put it on pause. When they came back, there was a whole lot that needed to be done in a very short amount of time. So there was a whole lot that they were trying to do and everybody's trying to navigate what everything's gonna look like post COVID. Um, and there was a bill that was introduced. It was House Bill 1420 and it was a really bad idea. I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. This was a horrible bill. It was introduced very quickly um, and they were trying to push it through very quickly. And so it didn't give a lot of the statewide stakeholders an opportunity to react to it. Um, we have a phenomenal um, lobbyist um, who does pro bono work for him for us. His name is Mike Beasley. He alerted, alerted us to it. We had a letter, we submitted it. Um, long story short, it was on the help. This was like on a Tuesday. It was on the floor um, to be decided on Thursday. Um, and everybody was scrambling to really wrap their brains around this. Um, one of the Action 22 legislators, who's also a member, um, got up on the floor and read that letter. And there was a lot of organizations around the state who were really upset about this because it would be devastating for small businesses. So there was a big noise made in a big way, in a big hurry. Um, and a few minutes after there was um, Richard Holtorf who spoke on our behalf. Um, and then there was a couple other legislators within about 15 minutes, um, the governor tweeted out that he would uh, veto that bill in its current form. And then everything went out the window. Um, that's the kind of success when we say um, they're really listening and they're really trying to make sure that our priorities are important. Um, that's what we're talking about. And so in a nutshell, that's what Action 22 does. They, they approach things a little bit differently than a usual political organization. We're not a political organization. Like I said, we're more like a chamber of commerce. Um, so right now, the way everyone is looking at the political landscape is gonna vary from household to household, individual to individual. Um, what's important to them and what's not. Uh, and it's difficult. It's hard work, this public policy piece. It's hard for, for elected officials. It's hard for organizations like ours. Um, but at this point, we really feel it's important that we make sure that we stay the course on, on doing what we're doing so that we, um, we don't get caught up in the rhetoric and we are continue to be um, an action organization, not a political mouse, mouthpiece organization. So um, I wanna bring in Brian um, now to talk to us a little bit. So like I said, Brian's a super interesting and a, a really cool guy. Um, he's the district director for Scott Tipton. He's done that for eight years now. He was, he's been with the Congressman for eight years now. And um, I'm not afraid to say that I have a special affection for the Congressman. Um, but Brian and I have been friends for a long time. He's our newest Action 22 board member. 
Um, and he's got some insights that I think, as we've talked over the years, have been really, really um, interesting and sort of how this is, so this going, so tell us a little bit about how you got started in this, because you're a musician, you weren't, you were an entrepreneur, you owned a business, you're a musician, and then all of a sudden, you're working for the congressman. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's kind of a funny story, uh, even going back before Congressman Tipton, um, I was in the military. I was in the 310 Security Forces Squadron, if anybody from Colorado Springs, Schriever are listening, shout out to them. But um, I was in college at the time, and then September 11th happened, and I deployed immediately after. And then after the deployment, I came back, um, finished school here at CSU Pueblo, did a little bit of grad school out at Georgetown, never finished, but um, went out there for a bit. And I was working graphic design, actually, and um, living in Denver. And graphic design in theory, if you're an artist, because I went to school for art originally, um, it sounds fun. And then you start to do it, and it's kind of, it becomes a routine. So I was, you know, shopping my resume out a bit. And um, Senator Wayne Allard from Colorado, one of his people got my resume. And I had no idea what a congressional staffer did. I didn't even know we existed at the time and uh, came down and interviewed and they liked what I said. So got a job with Senator Allard and it was towards the end of his tenure there. He, he retired and um, you know, I, I was a regional representative, regional director doing the staff work. And after that ended, I decided to start a business, um, had a small business here in Pueblo for a while and still playing music, doing art, all the fun stuff. And then Congressman Tipton got elected. And I had known him through the years just for who he was in the state and had met with them and we had mutual friends and connections. And um, they opened up shop here in Pueblo. They opened an office and uh, just by chance, I ran into one of the staffers and they, they asked like, hey, we could use some part-time help. He came in, it's, it was a great office, has always been a great office. And then from there, my business went away and um, took the role full-time after about a year and worked my way up. And for, I think I started in 2011 and currently I'm the district director. I have been for a few years now. And I run the third congressional district, all the, the offices here. And if you didn't know, Congressman Tipton had one of the, has one of the largest districts in the country. Um, in the house that's not a full state. So we have the entire Western Slope all the way over to Pueblo on the Southern side. And driving that, I've probably put over 100,000 miles on rental cars or my car over the past 10 years, just driving around. So um, that's how I got into this. So um, I remember the first time um, your name came across my desk um, and it was, I was the director of the Greenhorn Valley Chamber of Commerce at the time. And somebody had, I can't remember, I think it was an immigration problem or something. Mm -hmm. And they had no idea who else to go to. So I called you and asked you for your help. And you and I had never even met at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you did this, I don't know, you did some really great stuff. Um, you took care of the, the action. He was a Greenhorn Valley chamber member. Mm -hmm. um, and so you took care of him and it all worked out really, really well for them. Um, but you knew about Action 22 at the time. And in fact, you're the first person to tell me about Action 22 yes. or introduce me to it. Yes. Um, and so that was pretty, so you've got a passion for this organization. Oh yeah, I that was have. before mine. So yes. tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, even going back to working for Senator Allard, um, you know, Action 22 is the voice of rural Colorado. And 
when we're when we as staffers are out in the community, um, we're trying to get input, um, whether it's letters of support, um, why legislation is good or bad, should we support it, what should we change it? And organizations like Action 22 are super important. I know at the time Action 22 mostly focused on state issues, but if there was anything that we were gonna run, um, we always made sure to ask Action 22, like, hey, is this a good idea? How do your members feel about this? Um, and then we'd also ask for a letter of support. So any legislation that we passed that are introduced that affected rural Colorado, we would always make sure to have Club 20, Action 22, give us their support, whether it's written or verbal. And we would never want to do anything um, that would basically, that, they, that would look bad in the organization or, you know, be not good for the members. So Action 22, you don't really see it or hear it as much. Um, they have always been integral in legislation and doing what's right for rural Colorado. And I appreciate that. And I always have, and it makes it really easy that your office is literally five <laughs> feet away from my office. So if something comes up, you know, it's, you it's, know, it's easy. Go ask action 22. And it's like, okay, let me pop out the door. And it's funny because the DC staff, you know, they'd be like, how'd you get a response so quick? I'm like, I literally walked across the hallway. And asked. So that, that's always been good. And, and the board members have been great. And I know Congressman Tipton really appreciates the work that you do and have done and continue to do. Um, you know, one of his favorite things was always appearing at the Action 22 events and speaking and, and you know, you do a good job. He, uh, from the second I started with Action 22, and it, I know it was due to you, but um, the second we st I started, every single thing we invited him to, he showed up without hesitation, without, you know, scheduling conflicts or whatever he was going to make, make um, us and what we were doing a priority. So let's talk about legislators who show up. I mean, mm -hmm. he's, and he's, has been so great and just personally really kind um, and really wonderful to him uh, or to us and to me personally. And, and I appreciate that so much. You know, he always remembered my dad, um, always remembers my mom when he sees her. And it just surprises me because here's a guy that, you know, knows hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so let's talk politics for just a sec. Do you care? If we talk um, politics for just a second. I, I do want to say too, just going back to the immigration story. Oh, yeah. um, one thing that anybody that's listening, you know, if you have a problem with the federal agency, um, you could contact your congressman or Senate office. It doesn't matter who they are. They have staff and they're there just to help people. So we do you know, VA casework, I think we ran the numbers. It's thousands of veterans cases that we've helped them out. Um, SBA, especially with the COVID going on, a lot of people had trouble with the SBA loans. Um, and we were able to jump in and kind of smooth that out for them. Um, everything, uh, social security is another big one. So oh, yeah. if anybody has problems with, you know, federal agencies or kind of hitting a brick wall, don't hesitate to reach out to your congressmen or senators because they actually have people that will help and they do a, a good job. And it doesn't matter who you work for. Um, we all do this together. Um, our job is to serve the people. And I, and over the years, we've done a lot of good things for people, all the offices have, so. No, that's really true. In fact, um, and it's not just the, it's just not the Congress, the Congress people. Um, you know, Scott's been always really, really good to us, but also Senator Michael Bennett has been fantastic mm -hmm. to us and Senator Gardner has been fantastic mm -hmm. to us. They respond to us so quickly and sometimes it's a little thing um, or sometimes it's a big thing. I really appreciated Senator um, Bennett um, while all the COVID stuff was going on and the CARES Act money was being 
distributed and that sort of thing. He took a, he took a minute um, to stop and just say, I want to, I, we want to have um, those conversations. Um, we want to have those conversations with you. Um, and we can talk about that a little more um, as we come back, but yeah, there and Cong- and uh, Congressman Gardner, I mean, uh, Senator Gardner's office too, same thing. You go to them or any of their staff, you're going to be uh, answered straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to take a quick little break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about political landscape, what Brian's learned, um, what he, he wants to see happen and what he actually thinks is going to happen. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm your host, Sarah Blackhurst. I have with me today the incomparable Brian McCain. Um, we were just talking uh, a second ago about uh, political landscapes and, and things, how they've changed over the last eight years and, and what he thinks uh, it looks like now or why he thinks it looks the way it looks now and some predictions for the future. I ask you to get out your magic ball. So just out of curiosity, when you started with, you were already sort of in the arena when you started with Scott Tipton. Did you come to the job with any kind of philosophy um, yes, when I when I came on board with Congressman Tipton um, after Senator Allard's office, um, I, I didn't know if I wanted to make a career of this. And part of it is, um, you know, I can't see myself working for somebody that I don't 100% trust and respect. And through all the years, even prior to me taking this job, I know that Congressman Tipton really is a good guy, and he cares about the people of the third district and all Americans. But he he was. He was the best choice, I thought, to, to look after the people of their district, and he has. And so that, that's one thing that I've always said, like, I won't work for somebody that I don't believe in, and I've always believed in him. And that was basically my one philosophy on it. I know, you know, everybody has their own political beliefs, and we, people disagree on certain things, but 
I just wanted to make sure that I was representing somebody that um, had the best interests at heart. And he did. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He was, uh, um, no, he's a great guy. Yeah. We will always have affection for him um, as well. So as far as um, political philosophy and, and not to get too far in the weeds on that, um, political philosophy about what you wanted to accomplish, what you wanted to sort of your legacy of your position to be. Did you have any thoughts on that at the time? Yeah, personally, um, and, and this is different than Congressman Tipton, this is what I wanted to do. And a big one was going back to like the casework issue. Like I wanted to be able to help people that needed help and, and being a veteran and dealing with certain issues, like they, I wanted to help people that were in situations where they could not find the answers or the help they needed. And I always told Congressman Tipton, you know, he, he would thank me for helping people out. And I said, no, thank you, because working for you and using your name allows me to get out there and help people. And, and again, just to, to tout the numbers of the people we helped, we're talking thousands of people that if myself or the other staff didn't reach out to them or them, you know, contact them, they, they, they wouldn't be where they're at today. And, and that, that was basically it. And it's kind of funny because I always tell Congressman Tipton, it's like, don't thank me, I'm using you because I'm trying to help out <laughs> as many people as I can. And the only way I can do that is with your name. So that's why I'm doing it. I can't remember where we were. Um, we were at some event and, and some super diehard um, Democrat came up to you. He's a veteran and he comes up to you. He goes, I'm telling you, I'm voting for Tipton this year because um, of all the stuff that uh, you guys do, but in particular you, that you do for veterans. And that was yeah. the big thing is, is all the work that's done for veterans. It's a, and you know, you're being a veteran yourself. I know it's a passion, but that, there is something special about being able to actually, and there you go. That's why you have yeah. such a fact, affection for Action 22. Yep, exactly. Um, has your philosophy about your, or your approach um, changed over the years or has it just been sort of solidified? Um, so politically, you know, you always change. Um, it, it's without getting too far into it. Um, working in a congressional office, you kind of see the things that, that how it works inside and how it works inside is completely different than how the public perceives it, how the media portrays it, how movies, you know, make it look. Um, once you kind of start doing it, you, you, you see how it works and the reasons why certain things happen. Um, you, you know, it's like, the sometimes it's like well congress isn't doing anything or it's funny always like they're in dc they're not home they're home they're not in dc and you know that it's like oh they're on recess it's a vacation it's not a vacation um every congressman or senator that i know they're they're working constantly and it is a hard job and you start to see that and and you appreciate it it's again and it gets frustrating when you see on tv it's like oh they're not doing anything no they're doing a lot of work it's just they can't be everywhere at once. And I really grew to appreciate that because prior to working in this job, it's like, I didn't know what they did. I, I knew, you know, that, oh, they pass bills or they vote and everybody's mad at them or they, everybody likes them. But there is so much work and even their teams, it's the well-oiled machine of a congressional office or a Senate office. Um, it, it is hard work and they do a lot of good work. And that's kind of where I've changed, where I, I grew to appreciate the process. Um, and it's part of our democratic process. You know, it's making sure every voice is heard, talking to everybody you can so that your boss and these leaders can make the decisions that 
benefit their constituents or help their constituents the most. So with that, I guess you could say I still have my political beliefs on on the side, but I, I have an appreciation of the American government and how we actually get things done. You know, I, I have to agree with you on that. That's one of the things that has surprised me the most is uh, when I first started the job, how I viewed elected officials on all the levels. And then having do, done this job for the last three years, um, my admiration, I, I've gained a lot of admiration for what they actually do. And, and maybe it's just the Colorado ones <laughs> and it's not like this everywhere. I don't know, but for Colorado on the state and a federal level, I mean, these guys work really, really, really hard. They're not always going to vote the way you want them to. They're not always going to do what you want them to do. But um, if effort, um, if effort was the name of the game, they would all, they'd all be straight A students. I mean, that's, that's who, who we're talking about. Yeah. And I, I think too, a lot of times politically you get, people that are upset with a politician or their congressman or their senator, because you see, um, the, you know, he's not voting the way my party wants him or her to vote, or she's not voting the way she's voting with that party or vice versa. And part of it that I, I think people, um, I, I've always tried to point out is, you know, a senator or a congressman, they represent everybody. They don't just represent a party. They don't represent a group of people. It's they represent their constituencies. So they, they do the things to benefit their constituency, not any particular group or party or anything. Well, and I think you have to ask the question when you're deciding on who to vote for and actions speak louder than words all the time. But really, when you're looking at somebody, you know who they're who they're serving. Are they serving their party or are they serving um, citizens? Are they serving mm-hmm. whoever um, it is? And so um, I, I worry about currently sort of the political landscape is um that you're not one party enough or you're not another party enough. And, and because you're not, you know, a hundred percent one party and you've never compromised ever, then um, our compromises become a bad word. It's mm-hmm. become a, it's become a mark against you if you compromise at all. And that's the part that really, um, as far as landscape goes, that's, that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. That makes me really worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, obviously we're seeing it now more than ever, I think in the the nation and the world, but deep down. And I I know this is a fact it's 85% of the people just want the same thing. You got kind of the, the other sides, you know, the, the louder voices get heard the most, but all anybody wants is they want security. They want to, you know, they, they need money in their pocket and they want their family and kids taken care of. And that's what it boils down to. Now, how we get there is different. And that's where you see some of the, different views on it. Um, it, It's, and again, compromise, compromise has become a bad word, but you know, politics is making deals. You you have to compromise on things. You have to make deals with people. If you don't see it from the same angle, why not get together and talk about it to come to a good conclusion? And, And it does seem like that's kind of went to the wayside a little bit recently it, uh, without getting into it. Too yeah, much. no. Well, and um, I mean, the fact of the matter is Congressman Tipton lost the primary. So he's not going to be returning to Congress mm-hmm. at this point. And you and I are sad about that. Um, but there's, you know, there's a, that's part of the process, yes. like you said, and, and you just have to go, okay, that's part of the process. We don't love it, but now it's time to, it's time to take next steps, figure out yes. what to do what to do next. Um, so in those few weeks, 
Um, I know you've been back to DC. Mm-hmm. You've you've been having a lot of interesting conversations. Um, now that you're sitting in a different position, um, sort of looking at what's going to be happening next, how are your perspectives or how are your perspectives starting to change? Do you think? Um, I, I think um, what we're going to start seeing, and we've already seen it, is some of the deurbanization happen where. Um, but with everything going on right now from COVID to everything else, um, you know, everybody's been working from their home on their laptop for the past six months or however long it's been. Um, you know, you see people, if you live in a big city, you know, it's very expensive. Um, so I, I've been seeing, well, why not move out? Like, why can't we move to the suburbs or why can't we move to the rural part? Like I'm probably going to be working from home most of the time anyway, and I, I mean, I have family members that they moved out of the metro areas to go in the mountains or farther east just because they they know that they can make it and they enjoy that. So right now, I think the shift is you're going to see some de-urbanization. Um, there's differences in cost of living, but my hope, like with Action 22 and these organizations, is we can capitalize on that. Like, what can we offer some of these companies, industry, even people, like what does rural Colorado have to offer you? You know, up until a few years ago, it was like, we got to move to the city. It's like everybody wanted to move to the city. And now I think people are trying to starting to step back and be like, you know, maybe I don't want to live in the city. Maybe I want to live outside of the city. Um, A a perfect example here in Pueblo, you you know, the, the cost of houses are going up, you know, it's, I know in my neighborhood, at least, the property values are going up and you're seeing more and more people move down from even the Colorado Springs area into these regions. Um, you know, you're, you're talking to companies that are looking to, to um, build out, like, say, in Pueblo, like the industry park or industrial right. park. You know, it's like, oh, maybe we could go build something down there, give some good jobs. I know people need them down there. Um, and it actually saves us money in the long run because it's probably cheaper to build east of Colorado than it is in downtown Denver. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. Um, again, with everything going on right now, it's there's going to be a bit of a pause because, you know, who knows when things are going to go back to normal if they do as far as COVID goes, uh, this sort of thing. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the model is going to be for restaurants going forward. Um, the model for um, you know, working at the office. Um, even prior to COVID, you saw some of the some industry and, and businesses that were more office jobs where they'd have a rotating office where yeah. I work from home two days a week and I go in the office for two days a week and that sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting to watch that and how it changes and how you can basically capitalize on, on getting that here and um, attracting these businesses here, these people here. So... <laughs> You know, it's interesting because really right now, Action 22's uh, primary focus on and our efforts are toward economic driving a, a regional approach to economic mm-hmm. de- recovery and sustainability and economic health. And so um, it, it's it's been kind of interesting to watch. Some people are very good with the stay at home and do that. And, and then there's some people that mm-hmm. really, really struggle with that whole idea and how they're going to do that. Um, and I think that that's going to be a big driver in the political landscape. I think you're right on that. And especially with this de-urbanization, we're hearing from a lot of our leaders that um, that they're sort of trying to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's going to be a huge, huge, huge component. But that's one of the issues in Colorado, right? We have all these rural areas. And the two things that we're struggling with 
for these rural areas are our water and broadband. Mm -hmm. And those are two completely different issues, but very much one of the things that we have to address um, right now instead of waiting until later in order for that to start to happen. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's a worry, but also it's a kind of a great opportunity right now. And there's been a lot of, I think, a lot of great opportunities that have come from COVID that we didn't see, that we didn't see before. Yes. Um, I was wondering if you talk a little bit about, um, as you've, as you've gone around, if you know, you've been back to DC in the last few weeks, you've been mm-hmm. around the state and you've been having conversations about what needs to happen and, and where are we going next? What, will you share some insights that you that maybe surprised you? Yeah. Um, so, as a as an organization like Action Twenty Two, I think what I've been hearing um, was similar ones, similar organizations around the country. It's it's for these rural areas like Action Twenty Two is going to be the go to organization. Um, if you want a project in this side of the state, you go to Action Twenty Two. And you're, you're finding that these organizations are structuring out that way. What used to be more of um, almost a lobbyist legislative group is turning over to like economic recovery, um, economic growth. And it, it's, it's something that is very important right now that everybody comes together and their strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. So you just build those numbers of the organization and then you have not just, you know, a, a small voice, but you have a huge voice full of the economic drivers and also that it's, it creates almost a think tank as well. Like what's some problem solving to get this here. And, you know, across the country, I I think that's the big thing. I think, um, you know, obviously the cities are hit the hardest, the the metro areas with COVID and everything, but the rural Colorado or rural um, areas they're they they're innovating because they don't have a lot. And, they're figuring out ways to solve problems. And I think the way it's going to go, people like that, you know, they, they like the, the rural idea. And it, it, one, one um, example I could use was uh, speaking to a, a military academy because we handled military academy nominations. And one of the, the um, admissions guys was saying, you know, he goes, we'll get, we'll take a rural boy over a city boy any day if it comes down to it. And he kind of yes. gave the story. He was like, well, we, we were on uh, some equipment and it broke and we had some kids from, I don't know, it was like New York or Chicago, like a, a big city. And then we had some kids from Kansas and, you know, maybe Colorado somewhere out that worked on a ranch. And the instructor was like, okay, what do we do to fix this problem? Like this vehicle's not running or this piece of equipment is, isn't. And the mentality from some of the more city boys, as he called them, was, well, we'll just order new parts and have somebody come and fix it. <laughs> and then he's, he looks at the, the rural boys and he, they're like, ah, just give us some duct tape and some bailing wire and we can <laughs> fix it. And uh, I appreciate that. And yeah. again, I, I think that in rural Colorado and Action 22 is um, – these communities have always been trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's broadband, whether it's water, anything, it's like they have to be innovative and they have to think on their feet with outside of the box solutions. And they've always done a great job of it. Um, with the upcoming times with um, everything from, you know, COVID killing revenue, um, people not working, money coming in from the federal government to the right. states this is where you need to be a loud voice. This is where you need the, almost the unity of everybody to say like, Hey, we need this. Um, because that like 
CARES Act money, you know, it is dispersed and you need to ask for it and you need to have the the beef behind the ask, right. if you know what I mean. And that's what makes it important. And that's why I think this organization is very relevant, even more so now going forward, because everything is so uncertain in the next year or so with the election, COVID, everything that you really have to band together. So we're looking out for Southeastern Colorado and rural Colorado. Well, it's going to be that rural mentality, that rural way of thinking that I think is going to mm-hmm. help really pull us out of this. Along that vein, I want to talk a little bit about redistricting. This is something we've talked about amongst ourselves. We're really trying to push it. Um, there's a couple of interesting things, but could you give us a really quick civics lesson about what what I'm talking about when I say redistricting, and then we'll talk a little bit about how um, you can be involved in this. Yeah. Um, so as you know, we have the census coming up. Whenever there's a census, they look at the population and that's how they redistrict um, congressional districts from the federal down to the state um, level. So, you know, they what they base it on is population. So they have to have this many people in the congressional district and if there's more people, which in Colorado, we're probably going to get another congressional district. Um, you know, some people are thinking we could have got two, but I think it's just going to be one. So when they get these population numbers in from the census, they're going to be like, okay, we got to change everything. So the districts represent the, the, the population equal across the board. And, and that, you know, I, I, I don't know how it's going to change. Um, I'm not a part of that process at all. I know there is a committee that's put together to do that. But it'll be interesting to see where the population has grown. Like if all the population growth is in Denver, is there going to be just an extra district around there? If the population has dropped in CD3 or wherever, are they going to add more counties to it? Or are they going to take away? So that, that's where we're at with that. Um, would you like to speak about the... Yeah, uh, so I want to talk about the Colorado Neighborhood Coalition. So here's the story. Um, Southeast Colorado does not have a guaranteed seat on this um, on this commission that's going to redraw those lines. So the Colorado um, Neighborhood Coalition, and you can go to coloradoneighborhoodcoalition.org, will tell you about um, how you can apply. This is, we need everybody in Southeast in the Action 22 footprint to apply to be on this commission. It's going to be a lottery. They're going to, there's certain requirements for it. But if we don't really push very, very hard to be that strong voice, then um, we, we will get left out on this. And, and it's really, really important. So we're asking everybody, all the listeners um, across Colorado, but especially in the Action 22 area, to please go to Colorado Neighborhood Coalition and apply to be a part of that commission. Um, let me ask you one more question mm-hmm. along that vein, one more quick question. What does the census have to do with any of this? Uh, the census gets the population. They tell you who's living and how many people are living here. So that's why um, it's important when you get the census card or now you could just fill it out online that you actually do that um, because that will show how everything from the congressional district is going to be drawn to funding opportunities to track just data. Basically, um, it helps the federal government know where everyone's at and basically divvy up the benefits the feds offer, whether that's monetary or right, whatever. So um, if you have not gone and filled out your census yet, this is, a, this is one more um, opportunity to implore you to do so. So there's a couple things as we wrap up today. And I want to thank Brian for being here with me and for everything he does for his, our community and for Action 22. Um, how we're making action happen really quick is um, 
one of the things that we're doing, one of the action items is our annual meeting. It's October 8th and 9th. It's here in Pueblo. Um, we're going to do a ballot measure debate and we're going to do a project priority expo. Um, I'm going to name drop the governor will be participating. Um, Phil Weiser, our AG will. Um, Senate President Leroy Garcia will be there. A whole lot of other elected officials. Um, it's going to be a great, um, it's going to be a great meeting. It's going to be a, a landmark because nobody's um, yet done this sort of hi uh, hybrid in-person and virtual meeting. It's going to be live streamed. Goal Academy, um, who's this really awesome organization, a school here in Pueblo is going to, is going to be doing all of our AV for that. Um, it's going to be super cool. Um, and so uh, if you want to participate in that, um, if you haven't registered already, um, you can go to um, email me at, at sarah.blackhurst at action22.org and I'll get you all squared away on that. Um, we also have, uh, I need to give a big shout out. Um, this is the part of the show where we, we've named a bunch of names today, mm -hmm. but this is a part of the show where I want to name a name in particular, and that's Louis Carleo. So um, for those of you who aren't in the arena or if you're not from Pueblo, Colorado, you probably don't know who Louis Carleo is. There's some legends, there's some myths surrounding him, um, but he is, um, he owns the Thatcher building. That's where we're located. Um, he's been a great friend and a great supporter, a little bit of a mentor to me, um, but he was the first one to um, support the show. And I just want to give a huge thanks out to him. Um, not only what he does for us, but what he does for our entire community. Um, last, I just want to, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened in today. Um, this was our first show. We'll see how this goes. We're really excited to be a part um, of the Voice America crew now um, and all the great uh, broadcasting that they do. Um, but I just want to leave you with uh, a making action happen. If you're a leader, um, if you are looking to expand your leadership um, for your community or for yourself, we encourage you to take a good look at that. Be a, be a servant leader. Um, fix what bugs you have, little bites at a time, those kinds of things. Um, but I just want to leave you with this little tip um, that's really kind of landed with me in the last couple of weeks. If you aren't getting the results you want in whatever aspect of your life that you're working on, don't question your skills. Don't abandon your objective. Rethink your strategy. Rethink what it is you're doing and how you're approaching it. You don't need to question yourself. Just keep going. Just keep doing. That's how action happens. From all of us at Action 22 and around the area, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been fun for both of us. Um, we'll catch you next time. Uh, it'll be uh, one o'clock Mountain Standard Time um, next Thursday. We'll catch you then. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.